you realise, no, these people don't have a fucking clue what they're doing. And there's a really good reason why so, so many economists out there are like, wait, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, it's just Patrick, Patrick Minford? Yeah. It's sat somewhere in the, in the back rooms of number 10 going, don't worry, don't worry, Liz, all part of the process. Just chill out. Stick with me. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Meanwhile, everyone else is like the dog in the fucking house is on fire meme. When asked who my favourite Labour Prime Minister was, uh, I used to respond, Clement Attlee or Harold Wilson, somebody along those lines. Uh, these days, I tend to reply that it's probably Liz Truss. Um, she's had an absolutely disastrous first few weeks in office and here to discuss it all with me on the Left Talk podcast is A. Thompson from A. Thompson and Other Disappointments. I am really, really glad to have you on. Thanks so much for coming on to co-host, man. You're very welcome. It's uh, It's lovely to be here. Yeah, it's uh, it's re- really, really good to have you on. If you don't know AIDS Podcast, definitely go check it out. Um, I think, isn't your Twitter uh, handle for your podcast at Aid Has a Podcast? Uh, my, I changed my name to Aid Has a Podcast, but the actual like podcast account mm. is at and other disappointments. At and other disappointments. Brilliant. Yep. Yeah, yeah superb. Go check it out if you haven't already. Um, yeah, Liz Truss increasingly disconnected from reality uh, in a way that I think is really quite extraordinary to watch. According to Tory party insiders, she just doesn't listen. She's always kind of been like this, but she just doesn't listen to the people around her. And that's a kind of worrying thing to have at the front of the country, but combined with this free market libertarianism, that's that's quite a scary direction for her to be moving in. Um, what did you think of her uh, recent, uh, well, the recent developments so far? What are your general impressions, first of all? Mm. So, right, okay. I, I feel like, so it's interesting that you said about how she doesn't listen to the people around her, uh, because my my sense is, look, I don't know Liz Truss, but my from, from what I read about her, which could be complete rubbish and I might live in an echo chamber maybe, but my, my sense is uh, that she is a sort of blank canvas, uh, like a mannequin that people can dress or paint as they see fit. And she's so sort of devoid of self uh, that she just goes along with whatever these people around her, what this crowd need her to be. And that's why historically you see her as, what was she originally like an anti-monarchist a remainer and now she's a tory brexiter monarchist uh and and then more recently a sort of you know ultra free marketeer who subscribes to trickle down economics i think she's willing to she's quite changeable i feel like she goes with the wind she she becomes whatever the people that she's surrounded by at that moment need her to be and that's sort of what we're seeing at the moment but to a hugely dangerous effect Mm. My sense. Yes, yeah. I, um, I perhaps I can kind of um, clarify what what I meant by that was less the um, the broader strategic approach, but in terms of the individual tactics on the field, she doesn't listen to the people around her. The empirical approach is just gone. I, I did uh, I did a TikTok video on this. Um, interestingly, a lot of the libertarian think tanks that she surrounds herself with, like the IEA, are proponents of Hayekian kind of economics, but also um, a lot of them are part of uh, like what we'd regard as the Austrian school of economics. Um, and mm. these people are 
specifically in the way that they approach economics, anti-empiricism. Like, they don't believe that you can learn about economics using empirical evidence, which is counter to everything else within the field. It's it's actually bonkers, and people don't realise how, like, ideological this kind of libertarianism is. Well, I also think they they believe... Well, do they even believe that stuff, like people like the IEA, or do they just stand to benefit most from that particular subscription of ideology so to them the idea of having a, a an ultra free market where lo, like low regulation is all and the guy with the best idea wins like that sounds sort of quite i don't know appealing quite romantic in a really simplistic way uh but when you try to roll it out en masse to a country of 67 million people like it doesn't take too long until you start hitting hurdles and it's that like simplisticness or sim simplism whatever that word is uh that I feel is is the bugbear of modern conservatism. Like it's, they can stand there and say, "Yep, low regulation, high wage economy. Um, we're gonna, we're the government. We're gonna get out your business, and you can just take your idea and run with it." Well, okay, great. That sounds really appealing. Um, but we've seen what's what happens when they start rolling out uncosted tax cuts. When they start talking about slashing regulation for companies under five hundred employees, like the market fucking flips, and they would say. Oh, well, that's good. Like, you know, the market can do what it wants to do. It's the free market. Things will balance. But actually, once you start sort of picking beneath that scab and see see what's running underneath, you realize, no, these people don't have a fucking clue what they're doing. And there's a really good reason why so, so many economists out there are like, wait, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, it's just Patrick, Patrick Minford. Yeah, it's sat somewhere in the in the back rooms of number ten, going, "Don't worry, don't worry, Liz. All part of the process. Just chill out. Stick with me. I know what I'm doing." <laughs> Meanwhile, everyone else is like the dog in the fucking houses on fire meme. Like, Whoa. <laughs> you know? you've got to take into account that the uh, all of the other economists in the world are currently owned by the the anti growth coalition. So, you know, you've got uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, obviously, um, but. I think it really does um, stand to bear how kind of you're right. It's it's overly simplistic. It is like really basic A level econo- economics that they've taught themselves. Um, and it's interesting if you actually like um, if you read uh, Britannia Unchained, which was the book co-authored by uh, Liz Truss and Quasi Quateng, who of course are like running the economy now. Um, Dominic Rubb. Yeah, and Do- Dominic Rubb. Um, there was a fourth author as well, wasn't it? Was it Gove? Uh, Satan. Yeah, probably. Yeah, Satan or Beelzebub, one of the one of the yeah. On page sixty nine of that book, um, there's an interesting quote which I, I picked out, which says uh, the correlation between rising tax rates and decreasing working hours makes sense. If it pays less to work, more and more people will come to the view that it is not worth the effort. Um, I picked that quote out because I I really think it shows how disconnected these people are from the idea of actually working in an economy, what that actually looks like. The majority of people don't work because they they choose to work. They they don't roll back their working hours because they choose to, because it's like, it's a matter of survival for a lot of people. I, I, choking up thinking about it, like it's, it's horrific to sort of view it from this kind of like, uh, this idea that people just kind of, oh, people, well, is it worth the effort going to work? No, I, I go to work because I've got to feed my kids. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I also think it, it sort of, 
where, where I was talking before about like how it's it's like simplicity, uh, it's also for them this idea that as this uh, like it's a big part of Britannia Unchained was also that like Brits are just inherently lazy and work shy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it made up a big section. And, of it. and I feel like reason that they go running to these conclusions, the reason that they have such an easy time believing that uh, Britons are lazy. Uh, or that we don't have the graft, I think it was that Liz Truss said, um, is because that is a sort of self-fellating psychology to adopt. It's one of, like, like the reason that we have societal problems is because everyone else is re- lazy, but look at me. Look mm. at how hard I work. Look at where I am. Like, Truss was on stage last week saying she was the first Prime Minister to go to a state school comprehensive or, or something along those lines. Um, uh and that fits perfectly into it. It's like, look at me, look what I've done. I'm now the prime minister. We have a big graft problem in this country. Well, that doesn't factor in the fucking millions of people out. Like, first off, you got a lot of people that take a state pension. That's a huge, huge chunk, ginormous chunk of what, like, well, where, where welfare money goes. And you've got another chunk of people who are unfit to work. And you've got another bunch of people who do work, but for whatever reason, they can't, like, extend those hours like working mothers or people who have to get to a doctor once a day or like whatever their situation is they are just help like they can't work anymore and for the reason of their i don't know disability or life circumstances whatever um they're prohibited maybe physically from extending those hours so you've you've already like covered let's say and i'm sort of pulling percentages out my ass here but let's say that covers two-thirds of welfare right now you've got like another tiny chunk of that pie Sorry to use a truss, truss pie, but you got another tiny chunk of that pie, which might be like benefit fraud, but it's minuscule. And then you've got um, the, the remainder of it, I guess, is, is uh, like could be made up of things like tax avoidance. Like that's where a lot of our money goes. Mm. Um, but this all of this sort of nuance, all of this, um, like the, the facts and stats beneath the hyperbole, all of that is lost when you read something like Britannia Unchained. In their mind, it is as simple and fact-free as we have a graph problem. And how come these other countries, like China, uh, work like 17 hours? You know, they really put in the graft and then their productivity and their economy booms. It's like, why can't we do that here? I'm like, without going on too much of a rant about it, (laughs) I've done a couple of TikToks about this and I think I've mentioned it on my pod. Um, But it's like... you. But you can't have it both ways, Liz. Like, if you look at these foreign countries where the workers' rights records are abysmal and people are forced to either work longer days or they've had their weekend cancelled or they don't have maternity pay or sick pay or, or whatever, those people are being oppressed. Like, they're being forced to work in inhumane or, like, hugely undesirable conditions. Now, if you want to roll that out in the UK, then just fucking say that. Don't say we have a graft problem or, you know? Yeah. And apart from anything else, like when people from these countries leave those countries and wash up on the shores of the UK, then the narrative gets spun that like, oh, they're work shy. They're just here for a free house. They're just here for for our welfare money. It's like, well, what is it? Is it, are they lazy and they're just here for a free house? Or do they, do they have a natural, like innate work ethic? that you're looking to replicate. Yeah. Reminds me the fuck up. Yeah, I, I think I think actually representing the rich, they kind of have to take on that philosophy, that idea, the uh, the myth of meritocracy, the idea that 
actually uh, how much money you earn is based on uh, how hard you you graft, um, which yeah. is a really really poor way to analyze uh, economics because it leads you to make stupid decisions like giving loads of money to people who you think are um, are, are like these superhumans who've made their way to the top. Um, but th- the reality is, like a, a large percentage of that, probably most of it is down to circumstance. Um, yeah. it's the way like history has unfolded. Um, and it's a kind of denial that, uh, that history has any impact on the present, which makes up a great deal of modern conservatism. Like they have to deny that your, that the history, um, that you grew up with, uh, impacts your present thoughts, views, and your, uh, socioeconomic situation. Uh, it's, yeah, to, to a, a huge degree. I wanted to just hyper-focus for a moment on one of the policies which Liz Truss rolled out that I don't think got enough attention, um, and that was the uh, investment zones. Did you did you see what this was? This was um... I heard the uh, the phrase investment zones, and I saw a couple of people critical of it or of the idea, but I'm I won't pretend that I'm deep enough in the detail. Perhaps you can uh, you can explain it to me. Yeah. Um, so uh, the idea of an investment zone. Um, is that she uh, she carves out uh, an area that's uh, deprived um, and says to businesses, uh, you can get uh, low lower taxes if you invest in, in this area. You get we'll offer you massive tax cuts so you can invest in this area. But all of the money has to be poured into this area. It's not the first time that this has been attempted. Uh, Donald okay. Trump in 2017 introduced what he called opportunity zones. They are. Right. Exactly the same thing. Like, exactly the same. It's a copy and pasted Donald Trump policy. So we have kind of an idea of what gets built in these areas. And it's not innovation galore. It's not like, oh yeah, well, it, uh, they poured loads of money in and then, uh, the money from these, these businesses and billionaires, um, went straight into, uh, the local economy and, uh, all of the local businesses started booming. That's not how it works. What happened was you ended up with uh, high-end apartments, casinos, hotels, and warehouses, which barely employed anybody. Like, right. barely anybody. And the warehouses were the worst say, ones. Like I could imagine this is how it would work, is the companies would say, yeah, we're all about that investment zone. Uh, how do we progress it? And then they said, oh, yeah, sign, sign on the dotted line to so sign it. And then technically their HQ is in, let's say, I don't know, Phoenix, Arizona. Let's say that that's a, a deprived area. No fucking idea if it is or not. If you live in Phoenix and you listen to this, huge appalls. But <laughs> let's say that it is uh, deprived. They set up the HQ there. They get all of the tax cuts and tax breaks. And then cheekily, they have like satellite offices with developers or, you know, admin staff up in New York and like San Francisco or so. So they hire all the talent in. All of the actual money goes back to these places, but they the company, the corporation benefit from the tax cut. Is there anything like that happening? Well, it's weird you should say that because um, in the UAE, uh, in Dubai specifically, um, they have the Jebel Ali Free Zone Authority, which is an example which in Britannia Unchanged, the book that I spoke about earlier, uh, they choose to point to and they go, ah, this, this is how this investment zone could work. It's absolutely brilliant. Look, the amount of money being invested into this, but I feel like the point they always miss 
is, uh, first of all, this um, particular investment zone had several strengths. One, all of the stuff was done in English, which is an international trade language. Um, two, the infrastructure was all invested in by the local government, which the OECD are very clear is the deciding factor when companies choose to invest. It's about macroeconomic stability and infrastructural investment. That That's how companies choose to invest in an area. The, these these sorts of factors are the things that that make up the the uh, the decision to uh, invest. A lot of these companies that invest in this area are, like you say, just shell companies. They they they're registered there for tax purposes. Um, That's what gets me, man. It's yeah. like, sorry, sorry to interrupt. No, no. I'm just going to go on. I'll, I'll yeah. try and keep this rant nice and short. But it, it like, how wild is it that like who the fuck am I? I'm just some guy who goes on Twitter and talks shit about the government i have no qualifications in economics i don't know the first thing about like geopolitical fiscal movements or the challenges of different strategies and yet i can see (laughs) fucking miles away like how corporations would exploit this and how the money would not actually end up in you know the local economy so if i could see that like how can how can like elected leaders yeah like economists who are advising them how can they not see that yeah unless you have uh, for example, like you said earlier, vested interests in this kind of thing happening. A lot of Donald yeah. Trump's family and friends got very rich off of those opportunity zones. Or yeah. you don't believe in evidence. You're you're anti-empiricist. You you don't believe that evidence can be used in economics. Uh, th- those are the, your kind of two options. Um, yeah, it's shocking. I, I I feel like it's a point worth emphasizing as well. Nobody aspires to be Panama. Do you know what I mean? There's yeah. There isn't an economy that is aspiring to be, oh, we need to be more like Panama. You, you say that, but then, what's, I mean, I remember, this is only about two or three years ago, they were saying, basically, we want to turn the UK into like a sort of, you know, like a Singapore yeah. of Europe was like the aspiration. And I've been to Singapore, and it, I mean, it's kind of a tale of two cities out there. You've got a huge, like, burgeoning middle class and a load of expats uh, and banks, and then you've got the cleaners and the, the not doing so well, like working class and underclass of people. Um, so this idea that we should sort of aspire to replicate that kind of economy just seems like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I I mean, the IFS announced the other day that the average household is going to be £1,450 worse off per annum because of the changes made in that mini budget. Um, I'm surprised it's that little. To be honest, yeah, I mean, I, like we're, we're yeah. on a mortgage, and I'm fully expecting our mortgage to double, uh, mm. and then gas and electric bills will have gone up probably to about five hundred quid by the time we get to February. Um, it would not surprise me at all if they jack it up even further, because as we come out of spring, go into summer, people are going to use their energy less. So psychologically, it's easier for them to, you know, it's more palatable to go like, well, you know, it won't hit us till October. Um, I'm, I'd be gobsmacked if it's only like fourteen hundred quid a year worse off that we are. Sorry, yeah. I interrupted. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I absolutely agree. Um, to be fair, the IFS this was reported in the Telegraph. Um, so take that with uh, with whatever kind of pinch of salt that you want to uh, you want to take it with. Um, I am enjoying the collapse. The the one kind of bright side to all of this. Um, we can talk about the sixty billion pounds worth of benefit cuts that are probably headed our way. Uh, in a moment, or sixty billion pound worth of um, of cuts that the uh, the government allegedly need to make, according to reports today uh, by the IFS again. Um, but that's interesting. That's yeah, after we spent 
60 billion two weeks ago for the Bank of England to cushion the blow of the pension sector. I'm sure there's no no link there at all, a positive. Yeah, just a coincidence, I'm sure. You know. I was just going to say that um the 60 billion pounds of cuts is going to be uh absolutely terrible, terrifying um and all to benefit the rich and the one silver lining is seeing labor shoot ahead in the polls um and just it's hilarious every time a poll comes out seeing labor 38 or 33 38 points ahead um mm. that has been the one thing that's kind of kept me me going and laughing throughout this i've got to say yeah yeah it's good news i think um i mean it can be in- interpreted a, a variety of ways Obviously, you're going to get the core Labour vote who will say, oh, finally, you know, Starmer's turned it around and, and he needs to be celebrated as the leader that, that put Labour on a winning streak. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm sure, you know, not taking anything away from the guy, I'm sure he's done a, a good job of getting his, his ship in order or, or whatever. Then there's the other group who will say, this isn't a vote for Labour. These are people who are voting against the Conservatives, which I always say, that is true of any electoral like when you're at this point in the electoral cycle people have just had enough Mm. of this sort of status quo of the party that have been kicking them for a while um and i remember when uh, the the coalition first started um and cameron and clegg got in and it was much the same thing people were just fed up of labor like gordon Mm. brown's administration seemed quite tired i mean now looking back on it You know, I'd fucking cut a nut off to have a Gordon Brown administration. But at the time, I remember the general feeling was that this was a tired, clapped out administration with no new ideas, no no new slogans or buzzwords. Or and then he did the inter like the doorstep thing with that woman who he then I think they portrayed as racist because she had concerns about Eastern European immigrants and stuff. It was just like last days of Brownism, and uh, and it. At that point, I think people were willing to look outside of centre-left and look across at this sort of Lib Dem marriage with a seemingly quite green Cameron as mm-hmm. a breath of fresh air. Now, you can look back on that now and make of it what you will, but that was... I remember that. I remember that feeling that it was time for something new. And now it's the same thing again. People are willing to vote against the status quo, and you can't necessarily write that off because it will probably odds on if the bookies are to be believed and you govern and so on it probably will result in a labor majority mm. i uh yeah I, I agree with you but i would also add the caveat that liz truss has really really messed up she's fucked it she's really oh, yeah, she's fucked, fucked it for the tories and it's yeah. come at an extraordinary speed um but i i kind of I fall somewhere in the middle of the two camps of people who say, oh, it's, it's Starmer and, uh, oh, it's Liz Truss collapsing. I actually think that there's actually a combination of the two. Um, I think sure. Keir Starmer has been doing much better, um, especially with the, the policy reach out in, um, uh, in the, uh, his speeches. Um, mm-hmm. there's, there's, uh, I, I have a lot of problems with Keir Starmer and we'll probably discuss that together at some point. Um, mm-hmm. but, that was a big step forward, uh, particularly things like the nationalisation of the railways um, coming oh, yeah. forward with those policies. That uh, a huge step forward, um, mm-hmm. and uh, so he's he's kind of taken on those more solid policy positions at the same time as Liz Truss has uh, completely just collapsed in on herself with the the help of the IEA, the best left wing think tank that possibly has ever existed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like just yeah. 
yeah. absolutely fantastic. He's, I, I also have some issues with Starmer. He's not my sort of, you know, fantasy football league labor leader. Um, I think he's, he's probably moving in the right direction by engaging on some of the concerns that he's had over the last two years. Uh, I think what you would get with a Starmer labor government is a line in, um, and I would rather have a Labour government led by Starmer where we can form lobby groups and table our concerns and apply pressure to the Labour administration to affect the changes that we want to see. Um, I'd rather have that than another Tory government where we, ha- we have no line in. Like mm. you knock on the door and say, look, could you help give more childcare hours to single mothers? Or could you, could, could you do that? Could you have a think about funding the NHS problem? Every time you knock on the door, no one answers. Yeah. And you just get angrier and angrier until you're back there with a fucking battering ram, banging down the door, a riot kicks off, and then everyone ends up in jail or, you know, protest is further criminalised. Or like, yeah. it's, it's better in my mind. I'm sorry if this sounds incredibly, like, um, uh, uh, I don't know, abrupt or curt or, or a bit, you know, to the nth degree. Mm-hmm. But I, th- I think it's better to have a... Labour government under Starmer than another term of, of Tories. I uh, I'm probably going to surprise you. I don't want to reveal too much about my my, my stance, but I'm probably going to surprise mm-hmm. you by saying I agree. I you know, absolutely I'm absolutely yeah, yeah. in agreement with you there. Um, and, like, and Paul, do you know what? It's fine to disagree yeah. about these things. Like, it's all it, like I sometimes think in the, in the realm of Twitter and TikTok comment sections and stuff, people get fooled or lulled or lured into this disbelief, misbelief that. Uh, that you cannot build bridges and align yourself with people who let, let's stay on the left for, for a minute with people who are on the far left, super turbo socialists. And mm. then people who sit on the set, like right on that line of the center and center left. Um, most of what they talk about, they actually agree with each other. It's more about how do we actually get that policy like over the line and implemented in a way that really affects people day yeah. to day. And, you know, yeah, uh, I feel like uh, yeah, coalition building is one of those things where mm. you you do have to work on the on the substance of it because like equally, I, I'd I'd imagine there's a lot of agreement between a lot of soft Tories and a lot of of the the like far left. You'd be probably be surprised on the end goals are probably the same. It's just how much the means cross over and like that's not something that happens naturally. You do have to work on it, um, mm. and you you have to work on it as a sort of um, uh, as a collective, and you have to have thought leaders um, of of the different sides coming together and getting around the table and talking to each other. That's, yeah, that's a really important point, and it shouldn't be understated. Like I, I remember talking to, I can't remember who the fuck I was talking to now, but I, it must have been a couple of months ago, three three or four months ago, maybe max. But uh, I remember saying to somebody like, "What Starmer needs is an actual like a thought leader that sits." like firmly in like the workers in unions uh ideally someone from an old mining town like uh some somebody Mm. who embodies all of that who can channel their concerns up to the top level and that he is seen i know this sounds a bit superficial in like you know media but that he is seen to be they're on a stage with with his arm around and they're getting on great and they exchange ideas and then those people have got that line in Mm. doing you know yeah, yeah, I, uh, I think that's, uh, that's, I'd, I'd, um, I'd prefer that it wasn't like Starmer at this point doing that, but 
Um, I, I work within the reality that I, I work in, and that would be a much preferable situation to the one that we're we're currently in, which is still sure. preferable to having a Tory government, if you see what I mean. Um, yeah. It's it, you know, it'd be much better for Starmer to take over just as is, even if he was like still com- completely like um, uh, like he hadn't done that speech and he was only a few points ahead in the polls. Still prefer him to, to a trust government any day. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I think we'll conclude there for this episode, and uh, we're going to go straight on to recording the next episode. Thank you very much for coming on for this one, Aid. Really appreciate it. It's been a really interesting discussion. I really want to carry it on, but I uh, I don't want to overrun the time. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Thank you for coming on. Um, please follow the podcast, uh, follow Left Talk on uh, whatever platform that you are choosing to listen to this on. And don't forget to give AIDS podcast, A Thompson and other disappointments, a follow. What uh, platforms is that available on? I usually listen on YouTube. Yeah, so it's on uh, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, I put a video version up on YouTube also. Um, and then I'm at Aid Thompson with an I-N on the end on most like social media stuff, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, whatever. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Aid. Mm-hmm.